This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Give Grace Freely, and it comes from 2 Samuel 19, 8 through 43. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website, that's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Again, that's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Now, when we left off last week, Absalom had been defeated. His army was defeated, and he dies hanging by the hair of his head from an oak tree. The news gets back to David, and David mourns heavily, almost too much over his son's death, Absalom. He had told the men not to kill Absalom, but to bring him back alive. But that's not what happened. And when Joab finds about his deep mourning, Joab rebukes him and tells him to come and sit at the city gate and thank all the people that came and helped him have a victory over his son and the coup that his son brought upon himself. That's correct. That's what happened. Absalom created this coup. He wanted to overthrow David. He felt David was no longer fit to be king and he should be king. And over a period of years, he had sat at the gate and he had told lies and he had spoke mistruths about what David was doing and he won the hearts of the people. He tickled their ears. And today we see that David, even though his people turned against him, shows grace. And that's what this is all about, that we as Christians, we should show grace to others even when they offend us. We're going to see today that David gives grace freely and he gives it to multiple people, not only to his family, but to his enemies, to the disabled, and even to his friends. And with that said, I've got a lot to cover, so we'll turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to pick up in verse 8, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now, Israel had fled every man to his own home. What we see right there in that verse is that every man of Israel who had been with Absalom now runs home. He flees to his home. We'll pick back up in verse 9. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house? When the word of all Israel has come to the king, you are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. 
Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amisha, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in the place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man. So they sent word to the king, Return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. The first place that we find David giving grace is really in verse 8 because verse 8 tells us that every man went to his own home. All those in Israel is what it says, and that is the ten northern tribe who had supported Absalom in the rebellion against King David. But I want you to understand what they say in verse 9. They, they affirm that David, not Absalom, was the one that delivered them from the enemies, from the Philistines. Then they say, moreover, Absalom, who they had anointed as a replacement king, was now dead. So they were arguing among themselves about bringing King David back as king over Israel. But they had been a part of this rebellious army that had tried to kill King David. And then we see in verse 11 that King David has to send word to the priest. And he says, go to Judah, my people, Bone of my bone, flesh, my flesh. I came out of this tribe. I'm part of them. And asked them why they won't bring me back as king. And after the priest talked to them, they agree what King David has said. And they meet him at the Jordan and they help him cross over the Jordan. David is the rightful king, yet these people supported a replacement king that God had not anointed, that God had not said to be king. David was to be king. And the good news for them is that David took the initiative to do what they were unable to do for themselves. He organizes a meeting with the tribe of Judah. These are his family. And so the first thing we see is that David shows grace to his family. David could have easily said, those that were part of Absalom are now going to be put to death. When he made that order, the, his army would have killed those. But that's not what he does. He brings reconciliation back from Judah and the ten northern tribes out of the nation of Israel. Isn't this the same picture of us and God? They deserve David's disfavor, but he gave them grace. Each and every one of us, in Romans 3, it tells us we've all sinned. We all fall short of God. We are like those that are rebellious against King David. We're rebellious against God when we sin. Now, we may not mean to sin, but we sin. We have a rebellious nature in us. But God gives us grace, and he doesn't give us what we deserve. So the first beautiful picture we see in this text is the grace that David gives back to family. And when I say family, I'm talking about his tribe that he came out of, and I'm talking about even the nation of Israel, the other ten tribes. But now I want you to see David goes further. Now that he returns back to Jerusalem, there are some people that are going to come and meet with him directly one-on-one. -on -one. I want you to see the grace that he gives. And he gives grace to Someone immediately, and we see this in verse 16, we're about to read it, he gives grace to his enemy. Or some would say maybe to an angry man. Look at verse 16 with me real quick. And Shimei the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Berham, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men of Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Jerah, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty 
or remember how your servant did wrong on that day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. What happens here is that Shimei comes before David and begs for his forgiveness, and he greets him. He realizes what he's done in the past was wrong. Abashai, who's, again, right there protecting David, you got to love him, wants to kill him. Now, we didn't read that. If you keep reading the next few verses, you'll see that. But David gives him grace. This angry man, this enemy that threw stones at him. Yeah, that's right. Turn over to 2 Samuel 16, starting in verse 5. You see that he tossed stones at him. He cussed him. He's yelling at David. But now we see a change that has dramatically happened. One commentator asked, what made this change? Because it wasn't David. If you remember, David didn't engage with him when he was throwing the stones and he was cussing him. David said, let him be, even though Abishai wanted to kill him then. David said, no, give him grace. Well, the commentator goes on to say, if it wasn't David that made him have this change of heart, then it had to be God, that he had a true change of heart. Now, some of you are probably saying, no, he just didn't want to die. And now that David's king, he's afraid he's going to kill him. And maybe that's the case. The Bible doesn't specifically say why he had to change a heart. It's just that he did. I do want to go to a verse, though. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And what we see right here, Shimei is walking this verse out. He didn't have to come before King David. King David didn't call him down, but he wanted to. He wanted to go, and he wanted to be the first house to ask for forgiveness. He wanted, he wanted to make it right. He wanted to repent to the king. And what we see in this picture right here is that David gives grace because David was a man of repentance too. If you turn to Psalms 32.5, it says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden, I said. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Shelah. David understood what the Apostle Paul was inspired to write from the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We're to forgive others just as God has forgiven us. In case you don't know this, I think most of you listening to me do. How's God forgiven us? Romans 5 clearly explains how God forgave you and me, and therefore how we should forgive others. Romans 5 1 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, while we were still helpless, just at the right time, Christ died for us, the ungodly. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So David is giving us a picture of God's forgiveness toward us. God has forgiven us when we didn't deserve the forgiveness. David forgives Simeon even though he doesn't deserve forgiveness. The other thing I want to point out in this picture is just like us is that God forgave us on a basis of grace, not works. In other words, he didn't make us do anything to earn his forgiveness. He granted us that forgiveness. He didn't forgive us because of what we could do for him. And this is the same picture here. King David didn't forgive Shimei because there was something he could do for him. No, he forgave him because he gave grace. So just like King David, we are to forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven. You know, this is an area that stomps on my toe. 
In my mind, there are people I'm willing to forgive, and then there's others that I'm not so willing to forgive. But God spoke dearly to me this week, telling me, Tim, you have to forgive everybody, whether you feel like you want to or not, no matter how bad they hurt you. Think about it this way. Sometimes we want to say there are unforgivable sins. But what if God used that same logic on us? There's something that we did that was just a little too much, so therefore he wasn't going to forgive us. That's not what God's love is, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are freely given grace from God, not because of works, not because of who we are, not because of our education, but because of his love. And when we refuse to give somebody else that same forgiveness, that same grace, then we're not showing the love of Christ in us. I mean, think about it. David had an opportunity to be mad at the nation of Israel. They all turned against him and they made his son king. They, they made him king and he had to run for his life. Now, he did have an army that came and helped him. There were people that thought David should be the king. But David not only had the right to be mad at his family, but also his enemy. But then let's look at the third person that David shows grace to. Look down at verse 24 with me. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back into safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant, deceive me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. In other words, he's saying, don't you remember I can't walk? I got to have help. Verse 27, and he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord, the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Mephibosheth didn't care for himself, and it shows that he was truly mourning the loss of the king. The king asked him, Why didn't you support me? Why didn't you go with me? And Mephibosheth says to him, I was deceived. Someone tricked me. They left me behind. And that person was Ziba. So now Mephibosheth honors the king and he says, you can kill me if you need to. I mean, my father's house was doomed to you. That was Jonathan, David's best friend. And he says, so you've been kind to me. You've let me sit at your table and you want to divide the land between me and Ziba? As far as I'm concerned, Ziba can have the land. I'm just happy that you're king again. It's a great heart we see here from Mephibosheth. It's a heart that says, I've got my king back. You take everything and give it to whoever. I don't need that. All I need is you. And that's the next thing we should see. Through the grace of God, we should be willing to give anything up just because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Mephibosheth had to wait, hopefully, that King David would come back. The source that had made him safe for so long had been taken away from him, had been deceived or tricked. And now he comes before King David and he says, please forgive me. Give me grace. I'm sorry. I was deceived. I was tricked. I didn't do this on purpose. Sadly, some of us are like Mephibosheth. We've been tricked. We've been duped. 
And now we should be coming before the king and asking for grace and forgiveness. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus will give us that. And he will restore what has been taken. We sin, even though we may not intentionally meant to sin. Mephibosheth sinned against King David, even though he didn't intentionally do that. He was duped or tricked into it. Our heart should be like Mephibosheth, though. Let the world take whatever I have. I don't care. It's in you, King Jesus. You have all I need. You got to think about the time that Mephibosheth is saying this. He's saying that he can have all my land. Land meant influence. He was lame, but he was still a man. But in that moment, he didn't care about the land and the stuff that he had. He didn't care about influence. He was just happy that the king was back. And even though King David isn't God or he isn't Jesus, it shows us a picture that we should desire King Jesus more than any earthly possession. Psalms 37, 4 and 5 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Most of us struggle with this. See, we want Jesus plus something. But Jesus is telling you today that he is enough. And look at Mephibosheth and what he looks like. He's been in mourning. He's been in repenting. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't care for his feet. His beard was not trimmed. He didn't care about himself. He only wanted his king. Isaiah 26, 9 says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn the righteousness. My question for you today right in this section is, is this your heart? Does Jesus have all your heart or is there some possession that is Jesus plus something? If so, ask God to help you today to get rid of that need that Jesus is enough, that we understand that and we can walk boldly with that. The Bible tells us in Philippians 3.8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Have you counted it all lost? Your relationship, your job, your house, your car, your toys, whatever it is, do you count it all lost? Is it about stuff or is it about Jesus? So we've seen grace freely given out by David and a picture of God's grace. We've seen him give grace to family. We've seen him give it to the enemies. We've seen him give it to the disabled. And I want you to see that he gives it to his friends as well. I'm not going to read it because I want to have plenty of time to finish up this chapter. But in verses 31 through 39, what we see is Barzilla, the Gileite, comes down. And remember, he's the one that helped King David over and he gave him food and he, and he took care of him and he gave him a place to stay while he was on the run. In this section, we see that he's 80 years old, that he's rich, and he's the one that's provided for David while he's been in exile. And David does what most of us good Southern people do. David says, if you will come with me, I will take care of you the way you took care of me. But we see that he declines. He says, I'm 80 years old. I'll just be a burden to you. I tell you what, I can come a little way, but I want to die in my city. I want to die where I live and my family is, but I'll give you my servant and he'll serve you, King David. And so David says, okay, I'll take him. And let me know if you ever need anything because you can count on me. And he kisses him and he sends him on home. 
Some of you are going to say, well, Tim, this is the easy one to give grace to. And I would agree with you, but I'm going to take this on a different spin. Yes, we see the grace and we see that King David wants to take care of him and willing to do whatever he needs to do to take care of him. But I want to ask you a question. Why do you think that he was willing to do what he did for King David? Why was he willing to help? I mean, it's clear that he didn't want anything, but he helped. I think it was because of his age and his wealth and he wasn't able to help with the fight. So he helped David any way he could. He was willing to help him where he could help him at. And that was giving him a bed and giving him food and a place of refuge. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16:3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Truly from his motive, he just wanted to help. How does this apply to you and I? What I want you to see is no matter what you do, as long as you're doing it to the Lord and for the Lord, it has an impact on the kingdom, even though it may not be what you think it should be. Even though you may not get the praise you think you should get. It doesn't matter how you serve. If you give, if you, if you serve with love, if you help others, these things that you do, do matter towards the kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said about this when he said, whatever you do to the least of these? He's talking to Matthew, a tax collector, and it's before he becomes a disciple. Matthew writes about what Jesus did. And often he shows us that he shared a concern and love, especially those that were in need. He spent time with lepers, with tax collectors, with prisoners, the hungry, and others. Jesus expressed love to all in hopes of helping them know his Father, pointing them to God. But teaching Matthew, he tells an impactful statement. He says that when the day of judgment comes, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one to another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then after that, he starts talking about, he says, For when I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. But right there in that chapter, the people respond back to that saying, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When were you as a stranger? And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I want to stop and preference this, that works will not get us into heaven. And that's not what I'm pointing out here. But if we're truly saved, if God has changed our heart, if we've made him Lord of our life, then we will do ministry without worrying about return. What Jesus was pointing out to Matthew, the tax collector, was that we are called to show the love of Christ in our actions. Jesus' love is supposed to be reflected through us through action, not through just knowledge. I grew up in church, and let me tell you, there are times that we don't mind doing love and action, but we've got to be careful that we truly do to the least of these, and we love others without judgment. Did they do some things that are wrong in life to get to where they are? Absolutely. Were they put in a situation that may have put them where they're at? Absolutely. Did they possibly break laws that made them wind up in jail? More than likely. But the Bible teaches us we're not to judge others, that there's a day coming when there will be a judgment, and God is the one that will return judgment. All we're supposed to do is be his loving action for him while we're here on earth. 
We see the grace of David to Barzilla because he loved him when everything else was against him. When you love others, when you do for others that can't repay you back, that shows the right kind of heart. That shows a servant heart. My question is, what is your motive? Are you doing it out of a servant's heart or are you giving expecting to receive back? And that's the wrong heart versus the right heart of just being a servant's heart. The last four verses of this is about Israel and Judah starting to quarrel about King David. And it's just like a lot of Christians. What we see is there's this quarrel between the two of them, between Judah and the northern tribes. And their argument is about who's more loyal to King David, who had a greater right to honor him. And unfortunately, the northern tribe feels unappreciated by the tribe of Judah. And this competitive attitude between Judah and the ten northern tribes sets the stage for civil war in David's day and eventually division of the nation into two different nations. If you know your Old Testament history, you know eventually there is the northern tribe of Israel and they'll have their king and then Judah and the southern two tribes will have their king. But let me finish up by giving you this final thought. Forgiveness is not foolishness. Forgiveness at its core is choosing to see your offender with the eyes that the Lord gives us. Not seeing them in our human eyes, but seeing them as the Lord sees them. The Bible tells us that we are to forgive others as Christ has given us. Dare we ask God for grace and forgiveness, yet we refuse to give it? And Jesus was the toughest on sinners who refused to forgive other sinners. In Matthew chapter 18, the servant, freshly forgiven of debt of millions of dollars, refused to forgive the debt of a few dollars. This stirred the wrath of God. In that parable, it says, You evil servant, I forgave you of a tremendous debt. Shouldn't you have mercy just as I've had mercy on you? When we understand God's grace and God's love, and we're truly a servant of his, then we understand what we've been given of, and we will give that same grace. You could summarize this, that we've been given grace so we can freely give it. We need to see our enemies as God's children and that the revenge for the hurt that they've done to us is God's job, not ours. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture where we see several examples of grace freely given. Lord, I know if I could ask the listeners to raise their hand, those that have been offended or hurt by someone that didn't want to forgive, Lord, there's every one of our hands would be raised. Just the way you spoke to me this week about that, how that everyone is forgivable. There is no unforgiveness, that we were freely forgiven of a great debt, and we're to allow you to live that through us. We're to show your love through us. But Lord, as we've studied this passage of Scripture, let us see ourselves that we are the disfavored. We are the angry. We are the enemy. We are a betrayer. We are the disabled. And yes, sometimes we're the generous. But Lord, let us see others with your eyes instead of our fleshly eyes. And today, Lord, I pray that if there's one that doesn't know you, just as David returned to Jerusalem and gave grace that they will accept you as Lord of their life because one day Jesus is coming back. We need to be able to stand before him and receive his grace. And we can only do that by making him Lord of our life, by accepting his finished work on the cross and how he overcame death. Lord, saying we need a Savior and come be my Savior, come be my King. Lord, I pray today they will do that. 
They will admit that they are a sinner, Lord, that they'll believe on the finished work and they'll confess with their mouth that he is Lord. Lord, I pray for the ones out there, maybe that have been holding a grudge. Maybe they're like me and they haven't been as willing to forgive at times. Lord, I pray today that we would see everyone as you see them. Lord, we thank you for all that you do and the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.